Well, hello and welcome to episode two of the Women's Cricket Podcast. It's been a fair while since we released our first episode, but hey, in our defense, we are juggling other commitments, me a full-time job, and Anisha's running around the world doing many, many things, wonderful things. Um, so for those asking on Twitter, no, the Anjali Sarwani interview is not the first and the last. We will do many more, but today on this on episode number two of this podcast, we are going to discuss the many, many things that are happening in the world of women's cricket, on the field, off the field. There's plenty happening with the women's ashes. India, Swara, Bangladesh, Ireland are in the West Indies. Sri Lanka are trouncing New Zealand. And there is so much to discuss, I guess, just around selection, coaches, all those types of things. But before we do that, let me welcome my co-host, Anisha Ghosh, who is back from um, Zimbabwe, where she was working for the ICC. Anisha, I know you just returned very recently. I guess, how are you feeling? Currently a bit tired, underslept, but I'm immensely chuffed to be co-hosting this podcast, the second episode of um, the Women's Cricket Podcast with you, Ananya, because a lot is happening, as you rightly mentioned, including the series that a lot of India women fans were looking forward to, the tour of Bangladesh, which got underway on Sunday with the first T20i in what is going to be a relatively long tour for them after a two and a half month long hiatus post the WPL. So this Bangladesh series is also India's first assignment since their loss to Australia in the semi-final of the T20 World Cup back in February before the WPL. So they had not played any cricket um, on the international level until the first T20i, which they won convincingly, emphatically. Are we allowed to use those terms? Because probably they had an opportunity to be more emphatic and be more convincing in sealing that seven-wicket victory that they did over the Bangladesh side in Dhaka in what was also Bangladesh's return to the international scheme of things after a long hiatus. And both squads look somewhat new, with some old familiar faces in the mix as well. Lots to unpack from that series. So let's dive into it straight away on the second episode of the Women's Cricket Podcast. First things first, Ananya, what did you make of India's performance in the first T20i? It was a day game. It began at 1.30 p.m. under slightly overcast conditions, but thankfully the rain stayed away. Um, so we did get a full 40 over game with India somewhat trouncing the Bangladesh side because on spin friendly conditions, despite the three wickets India lost, it was their captain who marshaled her resources very well and remained unbeaten to take home the player of the match award. Well, I guess um, the scorecard does make it look convincing. Seven wickets, Harmanpreet Kaur in the runs, unbeaten half-century, Smriti Mandana got a bit of a start as well. So it does look convincing on paper, whether it was convincing to watch, I'm not quite sure. It, it felt like a very typical Indian performance, I guess, with, you know, there are some very obvious holes, um, a few mishaps, but I guess Bangladesh is mishaps were more than India. So I guess India came away with a bit of more convincing or emphatic victory. Um, but I think considering the, the long layoff um, that India had two and a half months, I know they came into this prepared with, you know, they had a one month long um, training camp at the NCA in Bengaluru where there was a lot of focus on fitness and fielding and those types of things. So I think that way the squad itself looked quite well drilled. Um, I thought they looked good in the field, um, but there were, I guess, a few uh, holes. But I, I feel like that's something that you expect with India. Um, but it was lovely to see Harman Kaur in form, in full flow. She did, of course, get a chance um, and she was quite lucky, but to see her out there just smashing spinners as she always does um, was, I guess, to see her in full flow was was wonderful. To see Smriti, um, I guess, hit the middle, I mean, hit the ball um, to her preferred areas behind point through cover over mid-off, um, that was lovely to watch. But of course, she fell to the off spinner. So, you know, that issue is still there. Um, <laughs> but look, I think in overall India, it was, it was quite interesting. I was quite intrigued by the 11 they picked. It wasn't um, an 11 I thought they would put on the park. We had 
two debutants with um, B. Anusha and um, Minnu Mani um, were both given a go. So it was a very spin-heavy attack as, you know, the squad is very spin-heavy, of course. There aren't many frontline pacers. India went in with, I guess, one frontline pacer in Pooja Vastrakar and Amanjot Kaur took the new ball. She is, in my view, a very handy swing bowler. I think she's right up there in domestic cricket as one of the better new ball bowlers going around just in terms of her ability to move the ball both ways. Whether she's an international level new ball bowler, I've got my doubts about that. But I think India probably went in thinking, you know, let's give everyone an opportunity. We've selected this young new looking squad i think the best way to to see what they have to offer is to give everyone an opportunity so uh it was interesting i think there are a lot of things that india can do better i was kind of um slightly i, I just felt like they were i don't know if defensive is the right term with the ball but they were just they bowled way too wide the stumps were very rarely in play um and i think against a team like bangladesh the more you attack the stumps, the more likely you are to get wickets. Um, it, it was just a bit, um, maybe a little rusty, I guess. I, I, I guess the more they play, the better they will get. I mean, we do have to remember they're coming off a long layoff. So uh, a, a few holes to plug, but I'm looking forward to, to how the series progresses, I guess. And what did you make of their performance? I will certainly touch upon a few names that you mentioned, Ananya, in your response, including that of Pooja Vastakar. I was quite impressed with the way she went about her business, uh, being the pace spearhead of sorts in the absence of Shikha Pandey, one of the notable omissions in the squad, which we are going to dissect uh, a, a few minutes later on this podcast. Pooja Vastakar's ninth over. Um, I think was especially a standout for me because she was able to Pepper, one of the openers, Shathi Rani, who was among the runs in the Premier League domestic tournament that preceded this particular international series. And that particular over, we saw Shathi Rani get out to Pooja Vastrakar um, as well. And to me, somebody like a Pooja Vastrakar comes with a lot of promise. Sure, she has had a bit of an up and down run with her injuries and all of that. But when a Pooja Vastrakar is economical, uh, on song, you know that India are likely to have a good day as a bowling unit. Barring that, I think Smriti Mandana, as you rightly said, uh, looked in good touch. Sure, she could have motored on to get another 50 to her name. Remember, she's going to play her 200th international match on Bangladeshi soil. So she's just two more India appearances away uh, from getting that 200th India cap, a coveted sort of landmark. But coming back to Smriti Mandana, um, yeah, maybe an opportunity missed for her, but it was a very good delivery from the off-spinner, Sultana Khatun, who was playing only her second or third T20, third T20 or third international match for that matter. So she does have a big wicket to her name now in uh, Smriti Mandhanas. And say for that, I think it was a bit of an iffy sort of a batting innings from both Shafali Verma and Jamima Rodriguez. Jamima Rodriguez took a very good catch on the outfield. That in turn ended up making India a better fielding unit than Bangladesh. As Ananya mentioned earlier, Harmanpreet Kaur was reprieved and uh, she was reprieved on 24. She went on to make an unbeaten half century. So that tells you a little bit about the kind of errors the Bangladeshi side committed. Their captain, Nikar Sultana, was run out. She did a appear a bit angry, kind of through the bat. Does that bring into any questions of uh, match penalty? We do not know. I hope it doesn't. But yeah, a bit of uh, an iffy decision making on various counts from the Bangladeshi side. But uh, Nigar Sultana will be uh, perhaps content to some degree the Bangladeshi captain with the fact that their bowling unit did put up a bit of a fight especially Marufa Akhtar, of whom Ananya is a big fan, so am I. Uh, the pace bowler was very good at the Under-19 World Cup and uh, has continued to impress in what we saw of her in the first T20i. And as far as the series itself is concerned, Ananya, I think we definitely need to talk about the relevance of it. Why is the series taking place out of nowhere? Well, the T20i series, as we mentioned earlier, will be followed up by the ICC Women's ODIA Championship three-match series. India should be looking to iron out a few creases in this particular series because the conditions play a huge role as the 2024 
T20 World Cup will be held in Bangladesh. The official dates or the tentative window have not yet been announced by the ICC, but a little birdie tells us that it's likely to be held in September. So in about a year's time, India will be going back to Bangladesh to get what could be their first ever silverware in senior women's international cricket. As far as questionable starting 11s are concerned, one thing did strike me when the squad was announced was not just the omissions, which we are going to dwell on at length, but whether India could have sent more second string players, could they have rested some of their bigger names with the intent of grooming, blooding more youngsters. What's your take on that? Because I personally felt that here's an opportunity for them to at least rest some of rest, rest with clear, clearly worded messaging in press releases that, you know, these players are rested, these players are injured, these players are not deemed fit, which is why they are not in the squad. We do not get such reasoning, right, in press releases, which is, again, something that leaves followers of women's cricket in India scratching their heads, myself included, whether you are in Zimbabwe covering an ICC event or you are in your own country doing uh, your day job like Ananya was in Bangalore when the squad list was uh, announced. But what's your take on this particular thing? Could India have rested Ananya, some of their stalwarts, for just the T20I leg and then could have made them both that flight from Mumbai, Bangalore, Kolkata, wherever to Dhaka for the ODI series because ICC ODI championship points are up for grabs. Your take? Look, I'm of the opinion that you do not need to necessarily rest um, players unless, of course, there's a packed calendar coming up. The thing is that India don't have too much cricket. Um, they play the Asian Games, which that's news with, that we have to discuss, of course. Um, but after that, the next series is, I think, in November, December. Um, not not quite sure. I think New Zealand was supposed to come. That's not happening. We're not sure about South Africa. So November, December is when they're likely to play next. So do you then want to rest your senior players? I genuinely don't think so. I am. I have always been of the opinion that international cricket is... I feel like you need to respect it. Um, even though Bangladesh are not the top, one of the top eight teams, you still, um, at the end of the day, need to... Realize that, you know, look, Nigar Sultana, Marufa Akhtar, they're all very, very good players and on their day, especially someone like Nigar who's, you know, she, she single-handedly, you know, handed Sri Lanka a loss recently. So she is, I think, a very high quality player and on her day could topple India. So do you want to give Bangladesh that chance is a question. I, I mean, Bangladesh have beaten a full-strength Indian team in the Asia Cup in 2018. So, um I, I am not. I, I'm not in favor of resting senior players for things like this because at the end of the day, we are starting India A tours, and that's what those tours are for. They are to blood or groom young players. So um, now that there is that opportunity, I don't think you need to simply hand out India caps um, to players who are still developing. Um, so. Yeah, to, to keep my answer short, no, I do not think you need to rest players unless you have an extremely packed calendar and, you know, you are, I guess, looking to the future in some sense. Um, to be honest, I don't think our selection policy has ever had a vision. Um, uh, and no disrespect to anyone, but it, it has never felt like there is a vision or there is a clear pathway. So. In that sense, no, no resting. Um, play your full strength squad unless you have a very packed calendar, unless someone maybe may have a bit of an injury and you're, and you're trying to protect them um, for a future series. Um, we are playing India A Tour series, so groom your young, younger players there, groom your future India players there. Um, but if, if you have the opportunity, play your full strength squad. Now that we are talking all things squad, let's delve a little bit deeper. Some of the names who do not feature in there include the likes of Renuka Singh, Richa Ghosh, Shikha Pandey. Hardly unsurprising. Going by how her career has panned out in the recent years, two or three years, she had a terrific WPL, was part of the finalists, runners-up, Delhi Capitals, doesn't feature, 
And there are a few names in the mix who are either back in the ODI scheme of things or have earned maiden India call-ups. Do we have any information from any birdies around Ashikha Pandey, a Renuka Singh, Richa Ghosh? Perhaps there's some talk behind the doors, Ananya, correct me if I'm mistaken, that Richa Ghosh was not deemed fit. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, look, from my understanding, um, Renuka Singh, who was injured during the WPL, has still not recovered. She had a stress fracture in her back, I think, and I don't think she is. She has recovered yet, so that's why she isn't in the squad. She's just unfit, um, and therefore she's not been dropped. Um, Richa Ghosh, um, look, uh, not deemed fit, I think, is, is the best way to put it. Um, I have other things to say about that, but uh, I, I think I'm, I'm going to, uh, let's, I, I think this podcast needs to run a little more, so I don't want to be shut down and say, say things. Um, so yeah, I think she's deemed not to be fit enough um, and has, I guess, been told. I never said that she did not pass a fitness test. I said, I did add as an afterthought that she was not deemed fit. Those are entirely different narratives. Please don't put words in my mouth. Whoever is trying to put words in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, so I think Richa Ghosh has essentially maybe been told that while your skill is excellent, we, we'd like you to focus on different areas of your game and fair enough. Um, and those of my Instagram followers who DM'd me asking if I have any details on a Richa Ghosh, this has happened several times over now. It happened before the Commonwealth all Games also. No, Richa Ghosh and I are not related. I don't have information on her whereabouts. Unless I want to give away those pieces of information on the Women's Cricket Podcast. So, just to set the record straight, no. Richa Ghosh or Nisha Ghosh are not relatives. We only played against each other at the district level tournament where she was stonking all bowlers around the park in 2016-17, but that is where my association with Richa Ghosh ends. But we are, yeah, I am the interviewer. She's the subject, journalist, player, kind of an equation, but no, we are not relatives. Carry on, Ananya. Um, who else, who else, who else? Radha Yadav. Um, from my understanding, um, Radha wasn't part of that um, targeted camp that happened. Um, she had a bit of a niggle, so, um, again, I'm assuming that maybe she wasn't, um, you know, she hasn't recovered fully. This is me assuming that she hasn't recovered fully and that she's not been dropped um, because it doesn't make logical sense because I feel like she, especially in the WPL, had just found a bit of rhythm, um, was starting to bowl like the Radha Yadav from two years ago. Um, so that's my assumption. Shikha Pandey, I think we should we should just stop asking why. Um, it's kind of become the narrative in Indian women's cricket that there will be a squad without her and you should not ask why. Um, I mean, considering she was what the, the top Indian fast bowler in the WPL, it feels slightly um, like why. Um, but again, it, with her, it, it just feels like you shouldn't ask why. Um, I have a lot of things to say about selection criteria. I feel like I always do. But like I said, I, I would like this podcast to continue running um, and therefore I will stop saying anything. As it is, we put out one episode every three weeks. So we are <laughs> lagging behind considerably. And now if we go on to make contentious claims, it will certainly not bode well for us uh, and our listeners. Speaking of the squad and what it looks like. There are a few maiden international call-ups for Minu Mani, as you mentioned earlier, Anusha. And there's also a return in the ODI side for Monica Patel, left-arm pacer, who will sort of challenge an Anjali Sarwani, who was, remember, our first ever guest on the Women's Cricket Podcast and will not be our last guest on the Women's Cricket Podcast, which also makes me um, let all our listeners and viewers know that this episode doesn't have an interview segment but we will continue to have more players on our podcast so do watch out for those interviews there's 
a maiden international call-up in the senior set for Uma Chetri as well, who was part of the emerging Women's Asia Cup, which India ended up winning. Let's touch upon that briefly. One of the star performers was Shriyanka Patil, one of the star performers at RCB during their not-so-starry, uh, memorable campaign at the inaugural WPL. Sorry, Smriti Mandana, that was not for you, but that was for your side. Tell us a bit about Uma Chetri. What do we know of her um, and, uh, yeah, the campaign that India had at the emerging Women's Asia Cup, which they ended up winning after overcoming a lot of odds, including a lot of rainfall in Hong Kong, unsurprisingly, which also saw a lot of rain during the Fairbreak Invitational, which I covered in March, April. So Hong Kong and rainfall is like a love story, inseparable. But India did end up winning the tournament as they were expected to. Well, India, I think Shreyanka Patil probably took the most important five or the most powerful five, I think, in cricket history. Um, because she gets a fifer in the first game and India enter the final. Um, essentially, that, that's what it did. Because of rains, right? Let's contextualize that. Yes. Um, it rained and rained and rained and after one game, India entered the final. Um, but yeah, I think it was, like you said, um, it was expected that India would win. Um, I think it was unfortunate that it rained as much as it did. Uh, I mean, obviously the players were extremely disappointed. Um, most of these players, the first time they were wearing the India blues, um, there were, of course, quite a few under-19 World Cup players, but there were others like the Shreyankas, the Kashvis, the Kanika Hujas, who'd never worn the India blues before. So for them, it was that much you know, bigger, I guess. Um, and they were, I guess, robbed of the opportunity to, to, to play much cricket at all because of those rains in Hong Kong. They did, of course, go to Disney World and buy Mickey Mouse ears and, and all that stuff. But uh, Very important. That's very important. When you are in Hong Kong, you've got to do that. And they, I think they went just before the final. So they had to wait, wait, wait. And then they went, of course. But uh, look, I think India... a were extremely, I guess, clinical. Um, I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, thought, of course, Shreyanka was, was brilliant, as expected. I think she, over the last couple of years, has been one of the most impressive young players coming through the system. But I think she's also um, easily, potentially one of the most attacking young spinners in the domestic circuit. And, and when I say attacking, I mean she's someone who looks for wickets. She's not looking to bowl outside off stump, dot up the batters. She's actually um, attacking the stumps and looking for wickets. She has an exceptional arm ball, gets a lot of revs on the ball. So in Hong Kong, where the pitches were quite favorable to turn, um, she was lethal. And um, yeah, nine wickets in two games, a five-fur and a four-fur. I mean, it's like, I think she was just off the charts. Brilliant, of course, helped by the conditions. But uh, yeah, I think just that attacking intent to attack the stumps, which India senior team hasn't done against Bangladesh so far. Um, I think just that um, ability to do that and continue to hit the stumps, I thought was wonderful. She's, of course, a, a wonderful athlete as well. But I think India A were just clinical um, through that, through those two games, um, they of course smashed Hong Kong. Um, there was really no competition there, but in in the final against Bangladesh, I thought um, I, I genuinely thought Bangladesh would put up a, a more of a fight. Um, they did bowl quite well, I thought, but Vrinda Dinesh, who didn't make the squad initially, um, which I was very surprised about, uh, she in the lead up to the to the Emerging Asia Cup in the camp, which they had. Brinda Dinesh was probably the standout batter in that camp. Um, she hit, I think, 10 ball, 36 in one of the practice games where her first two balls, she hit for six. And for her not to have gotten picked in that, in that final squad was quite surprising, but rightly, you know, she, she got called into the squad as a replacement for Yashasri and played in that final and I think she played a crucial knock in that final beautifully, um, you know, hitting over cover like everyone, it seems, from Karnataka is able to do. You know, think of Veda Krishnamurti and hitting over cover. G. Divya does that, now Vrinda doing that as well. So um, she played a wonderful knock and then Kanika Huja at the back end did what she did for RCB. She finished the innings really well, found the boundary, 
um, with her scoops and paddles and sweep shots and with the ball again it was Shreyanka Patel so I think India A were, were very clinical I think um, Bangladesh were slightly disappointing in the final I feel like they again like their senior squad just missed a lot of chances they were given so many opportunities whether it was run out stumping catches um, they missed those chances but I think for India A which were potentially the only team without I mean like a fully uncapped team um, to beat a, a Bangladesh A which had the likes of Nahida Akhtar, Murshida Khatun, people who have experience at international level for them to have done that and you know beaten them by a big margin 31 runs was really really good and a huge confidence boost I'm sure for all those players um, who were involved in that tournament. One connecting link between that India A triumph at the Women's Emerging Asia Cup a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and the current India tour of Bangladesh is the majority of the support staff, including head coach Nusheen Al-Khadir, who was also the head coach when India lifted their first ever Women's World Trophy earlier this year in South Africa, which Ananya covered as a commentator on the ICC panel. The coaching roster for the ongoing Bangladesh tour is a temporary one because you have the likes of Nushin Al-Khadir helming um, things at the moment but the BCCI is on the hunt for a permanent-ish head coach and looks like there are three frontrunners for that job. Amol Mazumdar, a certain John Lewis, not the UP Warriors coach for the record. This is one of the John Lewis's from England. He has a substantial coaching credential uh, a coaching CV, mind you, and uh, Tushar Arote, the former India head coach who oversaw the sides campaign at the 2017 ODI World Cup in England, which was quite the breakout tournament for India. He's back in the running as well. And from what we are given to understand, it looks like a certain Amal Mazumdar is clearly leading the charts, the points stable right now. When might the Cricket Advisory Committee announce or zero in on a coach is anybody's guess right now because as things stand, Nushin Al-Khadir is supposed to help the coaching staff for the Bangladesh tour but once the team returns after the three T20Is and the three ODIs, the BCCI will appoint a more full-time sort of a roster which will include most likely an Amol Mozumdar but again this is just speculation at the moment but informed speculation because uh, obviously we have lots of birdies telling us lots of things while that continues to be an important development another important development which is closely associated with india's relatively long-term future is the fact that they are going to play in the asian games from some official comments that have come out of the office bearers office in the recent past including the fact that both the India men's team and the women's team with field sides at the upcoming Asian Games which begin in September, end around the first week of October. That's also the time the men's ODI World Cup will be played in India which means India are likely to field a second string side for their men's competition but the women's competition could end up bearing resemblances to what happened at the Commonwealth Games that was the first biggish multi-team event that a women's cricket team from India participated in in the recent past. So they will look to uh, field a strong-ish side. Maybe Harmanpreet Kaur will end up leading that as well. And there are of course other big assignments towards the latter part of the year. Uh, potential home series against England but Australia from the looks of it are certainly going to be in India once again towards November, December. Remember the last time they were here, we had that amazing series at the D.Y. Patel Stadium and CCI in December last year where the likes of, um, you know, an Anjali Sarvani, we keep alluding to Anjali Sarvani because she's such an MVP, <laughs> such an MVP for our podcast. Uh, but that was a great series. It, it was such a memorable prelude to the WPL where we saw the Australians feature in such starring roles, both in number and by virtue of their performances. 
It will be some time before Australia land in India. Currently, they are busy trying to retain the ashes because the English side, the hosts, have put up a valiant fight in their recently completed um, and a somewhat historic uh, T20I series win as part of the multi-format ashes because uh, the Australian side doesn't lose much of you know, the series they play or matches they play. And here we've had the Sophie Ecclestons uh, and a lot many other players put their hand up and defeat an Australian side, which is, remember, not being captained by Meg Lanning. It is being held by Alisa Healy, the stand-in captain in the absence of Meg Lanning. Your thoughts on how the Ashes have panned out so far? Because the test match was quite... Riveting. It made for a riveting watch. I remember watching it uh, in Zimbabwe while covering the ICC Men's ODI World Cup qualifier and uh, that double hundred from Tammy Beaumont. Wow, what a historic knock that was. The highest test score by an England woman player ever. And that's Tammy Beaumont, the highest run getter in the 2017 ODI World Cup as well. And she's got so many of these records, but is a relatively unsung hero in my view, for sure, compared to the Sophie Ecclestons or the Nat Sivers or the Heather Knights, she tends to fly under the radar by choice or by design, I'm not too sure, by chance. But she's been that kind of a player, you know, who's been such a great servant of English cricket for a long, long time. Your thoughts on the very many ways that particular test match swung and how it segued into the T20I series, which... England have won. I repeat, England have defeated Australia. Wow. I mean, that's an expression of surprise. I'm not... That's an expression of surprise. Wow. I mean, to set the record state that wow is not to praise England, but also to praise England. But it's a, it's an out-and-out -out expression of surprise because as I said, Australia rarely, rarely fluff their lines, whether it be in bilateral cricket or otherwise. Your thoughts, Ananya? England have, yes, as we were talking, have defeated Australia. Wow. England have, have defeated Australia in a series. I think one-off games, you know, you can write it off. But the fact that they've defeated Australia in a three-match series is like, that's bigger. Um, but, I mean, j just to, to, to pick up where you left off about Tammy Beaumont and that, the test match, I think it was... It was such a good test match. First of all, the first five-day women's test in I don't I don't know how long. Um, but the fact that it was five days was why there was a result. Um, and I think the momentum just swung so many times. I, I think on day three, it was around the first or second session when I was watching Tammy Beaumont play Australia and thinking, what is this Australian team doing? They look like they don't want to be there. They look like they don't know what they're doing. How in the world are they going to win this? Because Beaumont was in exceptional form. She was, you know, uh, I forget who was batting with her at the time. Maybe it was Dunkley. I, I don't quite remember. But um, they, they, they put on a very good partnership and Australia just looked clueless. Um, the fact that Australia got a lead in that first innings for me was like, how? How did this happen? But again, it was Australia doing Australia things like they did in Cape Town in that semi-final. They just hung in there and found a way. And by the end of it, day five, it was almost inevitable that they would win. Um, and how did they get there? Um, the first innings, when they were batting, they kind of looked, um, won't say lost, but the fact that their number eight came in and scored 100, Annabelle Sutherland, Whose, highest, whose previous highest score in a test, I think, was 8 or 10 or something like that. The fact that she came in, scored 100, um, they scored over 400. I mean, Australia at the point looked like they were bossing it. Then England came, Tammy Beaumont bossing it. Sophie Eccleston gets 10 for in the test, ends up on the losing side like Tammy Beaumont. All thanks to Ashley Gardner, who picks up 12 wickets, I think it was, in the test match. She picked up an 8 for in the in the second innings and the fourth innings of the test match, um, absolutely turning it around, ripping it uh, around corners, really. And how Australia won that test, if you'd asked me on the third day, I would have been like, there's no way. Um, but again, Australia did in Australia and just managed to, to absolutely thrash England. So the fact that 
England essentially hung in and have kept the ashes alive with that T20 series win is is massive. I think the fact that they lost a, a thriller in that first T20, I um, again it was the last over thriller that you know could have gone either way. Um, after that, all Australia needed or what they still need is one win to retain the ashes. So England having won two games back to back, keeping the series alive, that much pressure is, I think, first of all, exceptional, the fact that they've done it. But now going into the ODI series, which is, first of all, sold out, so they're going to have massive support from their home crowd. Um, I think it's just, it's just made the series so much more interesting because we're so used to Australia just winning everything and bossing their way through every series. And the fact that England have done this and they're just, they've just shown so much character. There are a lot of new players coming through in that test match. There was Lauren Filer, who I thought was exceptional. She bowled really quick. Um, a lot of, ex I mean, really good bumpers. In the T20i series, we're seeing Danielle Gibson come in. She That reverse sweep to, to win them the series essentially off her first ball. Um, I, I mean, the, the fact that they're finding so many different heroes. Amy Jones has now found form again. So there's so much, I guess, to you know, say wow England about, but Australia also just feels like they are fluffing their lines, like you said, it's just very, very strange to see. For certain, and one facet to the series that has been particularly heartening beyond the fifth day in a women's test match is the attendances, because they've had record crowds pretty much across all the four matches played so far, be it the test or the three T20Is, 17,000, 21,000, 22,000 and as you mentioned, the ODIs which begin on Wednesday are also sold out and Australia, without trying to intimidate the English side, are on a 15 ODI winning streak if I'm not mistaken. Well, they do it for fun, you know, and how uh, the form in the T20Is or the momentum that England have accrued whether that they can take into the ODI format is something that will continue to keep or inject a lot of excitement and thrill into this series. Uh, and other than England, uh, a player or a team that has kind of punched above its weight, if I may use that term for England, well, this particular team I'm referring to has certainly, and that's Sri Lanka, because they have also created history by winning their first ever ODI series against New Zealand and spearheading that triumph was, guess who? No prizes for guessing. It was their captain, Chamari Athapattu, who created some individual history as well by becoming the first women's player from Sri Lanka to top the ICC ODI batting rankings and has become only the second player across the men's or the women's game from her country after a certain Sanat Jaisuriya to achieve that feat. We are not surprised because Chamari Atapatu is quite the outlier, right? She does such things and she belies the odds. She belies tradition and continues to let the world know how good she is. We know that the women's game needs more investment in Sri Lanka, which is not where it should be, really. You have the talent like the Vishmi Gunaratnes, the Kavisha Dilharis, Chamari Atapatu, Shashikala Sirivardhane, the former captain who's retired now. We've seen generations of Sri Lanka women players come and go. But one player who has really left her footprint on world cricket and done it in style is Chamari Athabatu. How big a feat is that for her, Ananya, you think? I, I mean, I think it's massive. And you just had to see the celebrations at the end of that, that third ODI when Sri Lanka clinched the victory um, to see how much it meant to the players, to see how much it meant to her. Um, I think every time she scores a hundred or, or she does something incredible, um, what stands out about her is her celebrations. Um, and, you know, the, I, I, what I love about her celebrations is there's so many different ways you can interpret them. Um, I think the first ODI, when she got to her 50, she, she kind of lifted her shirt and pointed to her stomach. And there are just so many ways that you can interpret that, whether it's, you know, pointing at someone about her fitness, um, just her hunger for runs, um, the fire in her belly. There are just so many ways as a writer or as a journalist, you can just, you know, weave a story into that celebration. So 
Um, for us, it's a dream come true. I think she is one of those players. But I think the way she dominated New Zealand through that series was just incredible. Um, and they had absolutely no answer to her through those those two ODIs. She started it with a hundred. She finished it with an even more incredible hundred. I mean, got her century in sixty balls, scored an eighty ball, one hundred and forty in a chase of 192. I mean, essentially, you're scoring all your team's runs. Um, but just the way she kind of, I don't know, just imposed herself on their bowling attack was incredible. Hitting against the wind or hitting into the wind sixes um, bigger than I've ever seen before. I mean, this is something she does in her sleep most of the time, Jamalia Tapatu. But the fact that she was able to do it so consistently against the New Zealand side that you would have expected to, to go into Sri Lanka and just win the series, maybe 2-1 at best. Um, but, you know, the fact that Sri Lanka came out of that series having won, um, of course, shows how good she is as a player. But I think it also shows how much belief she's instilling in those younger players coming through. And I think... This series, for me, I hope will be the making of someone like Vishnu Gunaratne because for so long, for the last two or three years, everyone's been talking her up after that 200 or that 400 she scored in school cricket. Chamari Attapattu's constantly been talking about, you know, she's the next one, she's the next one. But you always feel there's a bit of doubt around her. She's just not able to convert. But the way she batted in that first ODI got to her half century, was allowed to take time because Atapatu was smashing New Zealand everywhere. Um, I think that innings hopefully gives her the confidence that she now belongs at international level and she knows that she has the skill. Um, and so you think of people like her, Kavisha Dilhari got runs in the second ODI even though Sri Lanka lost. So those people now beginning to believe that if Atapatu can do it, we can too. And there are some exceptionally skilled young players in that team. Um, of course, they have the likes of Inoka Ranavira, Ranasinghe, and, and very experienced spin group. But I think there are some really good young players coming through as well. So this series, I hope, takes Sri Lankan cricket upwards. Like that 2013 World Cup when we hoped that you know they would start soaring, they kind of just crash landed after that. You hope that with someone like Atapattu around, they just continue to rise and... The fact that she's now number one, she's kind of bossing the world, um, as she should, uh, is is wonderful to see. And, and I'm sure you're really happy having, you know, watched her at Fairbreak very closely as well. And having tweeted a lot about the fact that it was a rather huge shock that she was not picked at the WPL auction. Sure, you can only have 30-odd foreign players, overseas players on the WPL final roster, but Chamari Atapattu with what she brings to the table as an off-spinner, as a left-hand batter, top-order batter, opening batter with the power she injects in her batting. It's kind of mind-numbing that you would leave out a player like that. But it was it was really heartening to see her, as you rightly mentioned, instill that confidence because it's so important for the next crop of Sri Lankan players to find their way into uh, international cricket because Chamari Atapattu is not going to hang around for long. You know, she's she has played a lot of cricket. She will continue to play maybe, hopefully, at least a good six, seven years. But you need the next generation to steal the spotlight now because Chamari Atapattu has dominated international cricket, Sri Lankan cricket for so long. But you're, I'm pretty sure she herself is looking forward to her successors, not just one, but very many of them. And Vishmi Gunaratne, through what we saw of her uh, during uh, the home series against India last year and now the way she is opening the batting with Chamari Atapattu, the 159 odd run opening stand, uh, that kind of became a bedrock to Sri Lanka's first win in the ODI series. It was a rain-affected match. New Zealand performed well. It was, wasn't a slim total. But the way Vishmi batted with confidence, Vishmi scored her first international 50, if I'm not mistaken. That was great to see and you want the Vishmi Gunaratnes to perform, um, you know, put up performances like these against higher ranked sides more often. So that was a great, great series for women's cricket, the health of women's cricket really, because you want the Sri Lankans, uh, the, the Bangladeshers to do well consistently and not those one or two 
flashes in the pan in world tournaments, which is great watching. It makes for great viewing, great for the eventual numbers that tournament organizers come up with, but they have to come in bilaterals as well, which is what will eventually determine the health of um, women's cricket overall and also the position of the teams on the ICC Women's ODI Championship table. And while Sri Lanka stunned New Zealand with that resolute performance of theirs, Hayley Matthews has inspired something amazing for her team, West Indies against Ireland. Ananya, let's look back on how that series panned out because Hayley Matthews, as I mentioned, did play a starring role. And about time, because here she is, uh, the newly in installed captain, though not very new, but uh, installed in the position uh, before the T20 World Cup. Uh, her team too is something that needs to come together. They have not quite found their equation right as a team. This is something that they had been looking for a long, long time, even when Stefani Taylor was at the helm. Your thoughts on uh, what this win could, series win could mean? There were convincing performances all round, I felt, across the bowling and batting departments. Yeah, definitely. And, and like you said, Haley Matthews dominating that series, started it with 100, ended it with a hat-trick, um, finished as player of the series, that T20 series. And essentially, West Indies won five out of the six games. One was, of course, rained out. Um, and they, they went in with a, with a slightly younger squad. So I think they'll be happy um, that they came out with five victories. Um, I think one of the other positives is Stefani Taylor back in the runs, couple of half centuries in that ODI series. So um, lots for them to be happy about. Chanel Henry's kind of emerging as a new finisher for them. I think that will give someone like Matthews at the top of the order a lot of confidence as well. Um, so lots of positives, lots of ticks for the West Indies. The fact that they've, you know, gotten those ICC championship points, which are, like you said, very important for qualification. But I think for Ireland, even though they lost, this is, of course, their first, you know, experience in the ODI championship, which I'm sure will be great for them. But I think, you know, they also showed a lot of positives. Someone like Gabby Lewis just continuing to show that she is a world-class player a couple of half centuries. But... That first T20 was just, I, I feel like they, Ireland are just so close um, to, say, the bottom three nations. Um, they're just so close to kind of turning or, or getting one win. And I think for them, it's more important to, I guess, invest. And I mean, I'm not, this conversation is going to go completely off track because, you know, the pie, pie is divided terribly. But Look, I think Ireland have got so much really good raw material. I think that they have some very good fast bowlers and really, um, you know, the likes of Gabby Lewis and Prendergast with the bat. So a lot to like about them. And I, I feel like they're so close to kind of upsetting um, a couple of the teams. But for West Indies, take series win. Matthews, player of the series. They are on the up and up. Hopefully they're able to carry that form against higher ranked teams, I guess. That's all the news and details we've got from some of the high-profile series that are currently underway or have just concluded. But there is a lot of action happening on the fringes of international women's cricket. And to collate all the information from all of those places, corners around the world, we have put together a segment on this podcast, on the Women's Cricket Podcast, called Around the World in 80 Seconds. And Ananya is now going to walk you through all those pieces of information which we think are important for you to know. Well, it has been a busy three weeks in women's cricket, like we said at the very beginning of this podcast, so I'll try to fit this in in 80 seconds. Here it goes. Well, Nahida Khan, the right-hand opening batter from Pakistan, announced her retirement from international cricket early last month. Rwanda won the Kwibuka T20 trophy, a historic win for them, beating Uganda in the final of the tournament. Mahika Gaur, the left-arm seamer from the UAE, got picked for England A for the T20 series against Australia A, and she also earned a contract with the Thunder. News from the West Indies now, the women's CPL, Shreyanka Patil has earned a call-up and will play for the Guyana Amazon Warriors. She will be joined by other internationals in the league, two from Ireland, two from Australia, three from New Zealand, and four from South Africa. Meanwhile, Thailand managed to tie their three-match ODI series against the Netherlands in Amstelveen. They lost the first ODI by 57 runs, but came back with a mammoth 124-run win in the final ODI after the second one was washed out. 
Tickets from, for the ODI leg of the Women's Ashes series are sold out, making this the first bilateral series, women's bilateral series to be sold out. The three games will be played in Hampshire, Taunton and Bristol. And finally, the ECB have announced fixtures for 2024. England will kick off their 2024 summer with a series against Pakistan and follow it up with a white ball series against New Zealand. As immaculate a roundup as it can get, Ananya, thank you for that. And that perfectly leads us to the conclusion of the second episode of the Women's Cricket Podcast. As always, it's been lovely bringing to our viewers and listeners all the information we could sift through from all the watching we do of Women's Cricket, all the reading we do of Women's Cricket, all the interviewing we do, and all the listening we do from people you can never think of or names you are probably aware of. So thank you for keeping us uh, company and being with us uh, for the last hour or so. Make sure to like, subscribe and share everything you can like, subscribe and share with regards to the Women's Cricket Podcast because we've been asked by very many well-informed pundits the stalwarts of YouTube and podcasting that we've got to unfailingly <laughs> mention this at the end of our podcast. So please like our podcast on YouTube and on Spotify, share it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, on family WhatsApp groups and give us feedback. Are you liking the stuff we are putting out? Uh, do you want something else that you think you would want to get off us? Let us know. We are here waiting for your feedback and your company. Until next time, take care and it's goodbye from us from the Women's Cricket Podcast with Anisha and Ananya.